Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, well, there we go. Amen. Doesn't matter when you get on the ark, as long as you get on it. And so we praise the Lord for that. Spurgeon once said, it was by, it was by perseverance that the snail reached the ark. And so it's good to see the persevering children of First Baptist Church. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. It's going to be in verses 1 through 9 this morning. Genesis chapter 12. Verses 1 through 9. In 2017, we did the first 11 chapters of Genesis, uh, preached through those, and now we're going to follow up with the rest of the book of Genesis, uh, Lord willing, in the weeks and months to come. If you have your Bibles open there, why don't you go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Moses writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way That as the words on these pages are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. And when they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, would you today open our hearts and minds to receive this word. And Father, I pray we would be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This we believe and this we confess that we are created. God made us. And when God made us, when God made man, He gave man three beautiful relationships. God placed Adam and Eve there in the garden and meant for them to have a relationship with one another and then for them to produce offspring who would then populate the earth. And so God meant for man to have a good relationship with one another. The relationship between man to man was a relationship that God had blessed. And God put His people in a special place, in a garden. A garden they were meant to cultivate and and that would provide for them. And the, the text seems to imply that they were intended to cultivate this garden in such a way that as they repopulated the earth, as they populated the earth, and as, as their population grew, that this garden would grow as well. And eventually, the glory of God would cover the earth 
And this great Eden would cover all of the earth that God had made like the waters cover the sea. And so you have man and his relationship to man, man and his relationship to the land, but God also made man to have a special relationship with him. God made us to have a special relationship with him. There Adam and Eve were carrying out God's plan under God's leadership with a perfect relationship with him such that God would fellowship with them, it seems. In the cool of the day, he would spend time with Adam. In short, these three relationships, these three things that God gave us describe what Graham Goldsworthy calls the kingdom of God. This concept that's a motif throughout the Bible. These three relationships describe what it means for us to be in God's kingdom. We are God's people in God's place under God's rule. I've told you all about the time I was going to teach Whitney's four-year-old preschool class. And I said, I'm not going down there to teach these kids morality. The Bible's not all about morality. The Bible's about Jesus. And so I was going to start with telling them about the book of Genesis, and I was going to teach them about how all of the Scripture points to Jesus, and I was going to teach them about the kingdom of God. And I got done, and I felt so good about myself. And we got home to our little, our little cottage in Mobile later that night, and uh, Whitney came in and said, that's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Those kids didn't understand a word of what you just said. So I was 22, and I was going to impress everybody, you know, these four-year-old kids and my wife and everybody else. And so I decided I'm not giving up on teaching these kids the Bible, but I'm going to do it another way. And so we came up with a way to talk, a short form of talking about this, family, farm, and friendship. God's people in God's place under God's rule. Family, farm, friendship. And all of these relationships, or all of these beautiful things that God gave his people, believe it or not, we messed it up. We sinned in the garden. We wanted what God had rather than what God had so freely given us. And so through the temptation of the serpent, Adam and Eve turned God's good created order upside down where a serpent is dictating to the woman who then dictates to the man who then blames God for the sin that he brought into the world. But God, we messed it up, but God promised that through a seed of the woman in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he promised that the serpent's head would be crushed and that all would be made right. God gives hope even in the earliest chapters of Genesis that his kingdom would be restored and he was going to do it through a seed. That is, these three relationships that we see so broken and so messed up in the book of Genesis. From murder in the earliest pages to the flood, to the great pride of so many, we see the way that sin worked its way out into all of the descendants of Adam and Eve and into the world which God had created and called good. We see this story begin to unfold in the way that sin is working itself out, and yet there is hope. Eve is the mother of all the living, not the mother of all the dead. And the story of Genesis and the story ultimately of the entirety of the Old Testament 
is a story of the people of this world who are now east of Eden and exiled from the blessings of God, longing for and searching for the seed who was promised. And so even the way that Genesis is laid out, is rooted in this search for and this longing for a seed who would come, a descendant who would come. And so any time you're reading in the book of Genesis, and as we go through this series, I would encourage you each week, sometimes we're going to be going through multiple chapters at a time, get, get one of our little journals or get your own Bible and read through the week's passage. So we may not read it all on Sunday morning. But as you're reading through the book of Genesis, you'll notice a refrain These are the generations of. These are the generations of. You'll pick up on this refrain at least ten times in the book of Genesis. The Hebrew word for this is is a toledoth. And so each of the sections of Genesis start with, these are the generations of. Every time you read that, anytime you hear that, anytime you see a genealogy in the Bible, here's what your mind needs to think about. This is a way that the Bible is tracing out and demonstrating and showing a longing for the promised seed of God. There is one who is to come. And that's why the last genealogies you'll ever see in the Bible are in the Gospels. Because they culminate in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, what we are looking at here is a story of God's grace. The broken world which we messed up that He had created as good is in total disarray. There's problem after problem. More than once, it seems as if the seed is going to be snuffed out. More than once, it seems like the promise that God has made is impossible. And so we re-enter this story at a strange time, in a strange place, and under strange circumstances. God has called a man named Abram to serve him. And he's calling, Joshua tells us later, from out of serving other gods to serve the one true and living God. And so after the fall, and after the flood, and after the sinful pride of the Tower of Babel, God had every right, and God would have been totally just, simply to burn the world up with fire and be done with all of this. And yet instead, God speaks. Now the Lord said to Abram. God could have done so much, but God. But God keeps His promises. And God is great and love mercy. And so God spoke to Abram. Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Where? To the land that I will show you. And I will make of you what? A great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing Three truths this morning that are going to help you evaluate God's call to His kingdom. Three truths about the way God calls us to His kingdom and three truths that will help you evaluate what God has called you to as well. This morning, I invite you into this, the greatest story ever told. You are welcomed into the plan and family of God, and you can sing like so many children have sung, Father Abraham, 
had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, and I am one of them. And so are you, so let's just praise the Lord. I invite you, I invite you to hear this call and to listen to this call today. Here's the first point as we look at these three truths. Here's the first. God's call is a call of sacrifice. God's call is a call of sacrifice. Notice what the Lord says to Abram. He says to him, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You see, God could have been silent, but instead He speaks. And I want to ask you this question today. Do you see the beauty of this promise? I mean, do you really see the beauty of the promise that God is making to Abraham? We oftentimes want to read this passage as if God is really just doing something for Abraham and his family. Just, hey, listen, Abraham, you're going to be really blessed but we miss the sort of global nature of this blessing. We, we miss the way that God is calling Abraham not only to be blessed in his own family, but through Abraham for all the nations of the world to be blessed. And God will deepen and expand this promise as the narrative continues. But so often we think of this as God likes Abraham, so God's being nice to Abraham. And we miss the big picture of what God's doing. You see, what God is doing is promising that through Abraham and through his line, through his seed, that the the curses of the fall will be reversed. That the promises which God had made will be restored. He says, I am committed to you, Abraham. And through you, this relationship between man to man will be restored. And man to the land, of this land I will show you. God is calling Abraham to go and to start, as it were, a new Eden be another Adam in so many ways. And certainly God is being gracious to Abraham and he's being gracious to all of us through his graciousness to Abraham. But nonetheless, I think as we begin to look at this and see this, when we, what we miss so often is that this call of God is a call of sacrifice. Man, we should relish these blessings and we'll talk about the blessings of God. But we can't skip verse one. So, so often we want to move really quickly through this and, and really get to the good stuff, the promises. Notice what he says. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram's being called from his country. He's being called from his family. He's being called from his father's house. And he's being called to go live in a land which God will show him. I don't know if any of you have ever applied for a job at a church. I don't know how many of you guys have ever done that. I've been through a pastor search process before. It brought me here, right? And one of the things that I've learned that churches do, and I think it's a good thing to do, one of the first things a church will do is they'll send you a packet of information about the area in which the church is. 
In other words, they want you to sort of know on the front end what you're getting into. And so the Gracious Search Committee here at First Baptist Gazin sent me information about Gazin, Etowah County, things I'd want to know about raising a family here. One of the first things uh, pastors and, and ministry folks will do, and many of you have, have maybe uh, uh, looked for jobs in other areas and other places, what's one of the first things you do? www.zillow.com. Try to figure out what kind of houses are available in this place. What are the neighborhoods like? What kind of restaurants are there in the area? What, what kind of schools are there for my children? We, we want to know before we go somewhere, we want to know what it's like, don't we? And yet, what does Abram get told by God? What does God say to him? He says, it's a land I will show you. No Zillow. No, no preparation. I, you're going somewhere, and I'm going to tell you where to go. You've got to understand, Abram had already left the land that he grew up in and is now in Haran, and now he's being called for further sacrifice, to go beyond this, to leave his kindred, to leave his family, to leave his father, to leave everything he knows, and to go where God tells him to go. He's being called to go live and wander and live in a tent. As the author of Hebrews makes so clear, Abram was promised a city and died living in a tent. And while his life was one of tremendous blessing, it was also one of sacrifice. This is the reality of the call of the kingdom. You are being called to let go of a lot when you are called by Jesus but you are also being called to gain everything. And some of us will die just like Abraham. In fact, all of us at one level will die just like Abraham, not having received the promises. The Bible says Abraham greeted them from afar. His life, though, one of tremendous blessing, was nonetheless one where he did not see all that God called him to. He saw it by faith. The Bible says he trusted the Lord, and over and over and over again, we'll see the way that as Abram follows God, he so rarely sees exactly where God was looking. He very rarely sees where God was seeking to take him. He trusts the Lord and moves forward. In the meantime... When you are called to let go of a lot, your sacrifices will look and feel foolish. Won't they? Have you ever done that? Have you ever, have you ever just said, hey, I'm going to go do this, and it looks and feels foolish? I told you about the time, I think, that I was at a Boaz High School football game, and I was fresh in college, and I was talking to an old friend from high school, and he said, uh, he said now, where, what are you doing? I said, I'm at University of Mobile. I'm studying theology. I want to be a pastor. He says, is there a lot of jobs in that? And I said, honestly, the thought had not occurred to me whether there are a lot of jobs in that or not. I don't really know what the market outlook is. The high school guidance counselor didn't tell me about that, what the ministry outlook was. Sometimes your sacrifices look foolish. Sometimes it just kind of looks foolish. What, what, what do you mean? You don't even know if you're going to be able to find a job or not? I, I came home one time from college and told my dad, I said, Dad, I've added a second major. Theology major, and then my second major is humanities. Well, what's humanities? I said, well, it's stuff to help me with theology. It's like philosophy and history and things like that. And Dad said, well, so still nothing you make any money with, right? 
I said, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You're being called to let go of a lot, but you're being called to gain everything. And in the meantime, our sacrifices look foolish, but in so many ways, that's precisely the point. We're called to live as if we're believing that God's promises are actually true, that God is calling us actually to a life of blessing, and that those blessings can't always be seen in this life and in this world. And that leads us to our second point this morning, and it's this. God's call is a call of blessing, not only of sacrifice, but God's call is a call of blessing. You see it so plainly here. I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There are no greater blessings to be found than the blessings that are found in following the Lord. And so often I think that we sort of, Uh, rightly sort of say, well, our blessings are not of this world. But then we forget that one day there really are blessings that are coming, actual, real blessings, not just the blessings in your heart that uh, come with following Christ, not just the peace that we gain in this life, not just the things that are so sweet and following the Lord today, but one day, the Bible says, we will be with the Lord. We will see Him face to face. The psalmist tells us, at the Lord's right hand are pleasures forevermore. We're not living as if blessings don't matter. We're living as if the greatest blessings come later. It's precisely why I hate the health, wealth, and prosperity movement. I hate it. I loathe it. I can't stand it. It's an abomination before God because it is so weak. It is so small. It's so tiny. Who cares about a Corvette when you have pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God? Who cares about having your body healed today when there is a resurrection waiting? I want to point you to those truths. And God may heal us today. He may give us good blessings in this life. He certainly did Abraham. But those aren't what matter most. We live our lives knowing that the greatest blessings are yet to come. The greatest blessing we can experience is the blessing of knowing and loving God and trusting that He will keep His promises. Don't you see what God is doing with Abraham today? Here, as he calls him to this, don't you see the way that the promises to Abraham are promises to and for Christ? Don't you see the way that Jesus is the seed of Abraham who will come and make all things right and all things new? This is precisely the point that Paul wanted the Galatian church to see. You see, it bears repeating that the ultimate blessings of God are found through and for Christ. So often, as New Testament believers, we long for and almost feel jealous of the material blessings of the Old Testament. So much of the health, wealth, and prosperity movement and modern Christianity is talking and using a sort of Abrahamic blessing formula that says, if you'll honor God, He'll give you good stuff. If you'll do this, God will do this. But so many people want the material blessings of the Old Testament but they don't realize that they were meant to point us to what God is doing through Christ. Why settle? Why settle for the stuff that Abraham had when you are experiencing right now what Abraham longed to see? And that's the blessings of God that come through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God's call is a call 
to blessing. And I ask you the question this morning, are you focusing on the right blessing? Finally, our third point is this. God's call is a call of obedience. God's call is a call of obedience. Verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram went as the Lord had told him. When God calls, we answer. It's just a simp- it's the simplicity of the Christian life. What God says to do, we do. When, when God calls us, we answer. Obedience to God is essential, and there is nothing that can thwart or should thwart the obedience of a Christian before God. We have to obey when the odds seem impossible. Chapter 11, verse 30 tells us that Sarah, and you know this probably already, Sarah is barren. They're, they're up in age a little bit. Abram's 75 years old. I won't say old because I don't want anybody to get mad at me this morning. But he's up in age. Certainly past what we would consider to be childbearing years when God issues this call. And so Sarah is barren. How can there be a seed, and much less a great nation? Abram is up in years. What a time to start. When they actually have Isaac, the New Testament authors say, Abram's body was as good as dead. That's the Bible's words, not mine. The land is occupied by Canaanites, by pagans. How can it be God's place? Abram doesn't ask those questions. He doesn't falter. When God calls him, he goes. Obedience to God is essential, and we must obey when the odds seem impossible. When you get down to verses 7 and 8, you see that the Lord appears to Abram. He says to him, to your offspring I will give this land. So there he builds an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he continues to go, like God's called him to do. He moves to the hill country on the east of Bethel. And there he, he sets up for a moment. He, he puts his tent there. And with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, there he builds an altar to the Lord. And there he calls upon the name of the Lord. We obey through worship. We worship God as we obey him. This isn't begrudging obedience. I guess I'll go. I guess. It's like I can't begin to tell you how many times a week we'll get on to Jim for something. And he screams back at us, I said I was sorry. We're talking about real obedience from the heart. He's worshiping along the way. And once again, you see this picture of Abraham here as a sojourner, as a stranger, as one who journeys, one who doesn't build cities, but who lives in a tent. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Obedience happens in the long run. Obedience happens in the long run. Many of us would be frustrated with God already. (laughs) What's wrong with Haran? What's wrong with here? What's wrong with there? You appeared to me here. Why don't I stay here? But Abram journeys on, going to the place where God would take him. I ask you this morning, do you hear the call of the kingdom? Do you hear what God is speaking to you? Do you hear the call of Christ 
who is the true seed of the woman, the true seed of Abraham, the Son of Man, the very Son of God, the yes and amen of all of God's promises are found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I ask you today, do you see the way that God is taking all of the cosmic wrongness that has come through sin, and He's making all of those things right through the death of His Son and through His resurrection? Do you see this call? Do you hear this call. It is a call that God is asking you to receive by faith and to trust Him that He is doing things through Jesus that we cannot always see. And so that call is a call of sacrifice, but it's also a call of true blessing. And I ask you the question today, as you hear the voice of the Lord calling to you, will you obey the call? Will you hear that call And will you obey through faith today? I want to offer an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. 